Actually, that sounds kind of loud to me, but... All right. That's right. Blind leading the blind. Let's pray. Gracious God, um, allow us to sense your Holy Spirit ever-present amongst us. Allow that Spirit to fill our innermost beings. Allow it to make itself known when we speak and when we listen. Grant us your presence that it may transform us and our time together. All for your glory. Pray this in the name of Christ, who we know to be present and very much Savior. Amen. Okay. Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, it's good to be anywhere, isn't it? But um, bump, ding. Um, the quote from Yeats. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best laid, the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Um, I've wanted to do something on civility for about three years. Um, there was, and I'll tell you why, there was a time in my life, believe it or not, well, there was a time in my life when I wanted to go into law. Before that, I wanted to be a political scientist. How I ended up in business, I don't know. How I ended up in ministry is miracle, or some might view it differently, but... Um, <clears throat> I used to love political talk. I used to love to dialogue about politics, about policy, about right and wrong, about good and bad, about hopefulness and hopelessness, about need versus want. About 15 years ago, that just came to an end. Uh, something has happened in our culture that has taken all the fun out of it um, and has injected into civil discourse a meanness, a, a harshness that I don't much care for. Um, and I think most people somewhere somehow at least can identify with what I'm saying. Whether you agree or not, certainly there are moments when you have sensed that things are beyond healthy in public discourse, in our public conversations, um, and that there is this sense that there's an anarchy loose, and it can't be controlled. Uh, we turn on our televisions, and it's right there in front of our face 24-7, you go to any of the internet websites and it's right there 24-7. You turn on what you hope is just going to be a news broadcast and it's right there in front of you. 
and you know how I harp on MSNBC and Fox News and that stuff. That's all derived out of this sense that I have inwardly that our civil discourse um, is no longer healthy for the country and civil discourse as practiced by Christians uh, rarely resembles faith. That's my opinion. It drives me to want to have this discussion. Um, it does seem to me that last line there, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of this passionate intensity. So the worst are speaking publicly today while the best of us are just holding back. I really get that sense. Um, obviously, I want to approach this from the idea of Christian civility. So, um, I want to understand civility as something that the Christian is called to. Civility itself is something a Christian is called to. That we are not a people who are called to be cloistered somewhere. Kelvin would have none of that. None of that. We are to be people who are very engaged in the civitas, the, the civic life of the community. We're supposed to help form it. Indeed, if Calvin had his way, it would be a theocracy in a democratic style, but he was not to have his way. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about Christian civility in particular. Um, Two scripture passages just for today that I, I want us to just stick in the back of our minds. Next week, we're going to delve deeper into scripture. I think it's important this week that we simply come to an understanding of what civility is. Um, at least within this room, how might we define civility? And in particular, Christian civility. Um, I can read that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Um. I'm hoping that by the end of all this, we're going to understand that civil discourse is actually part of, or one of, uh, the examples of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And then from Hebrews, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Those are two separate clauses. There should be a comma there. So, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Uh, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter roots grow up to cause trouble and defile many. Um, this is spoken to the Hebrews, a people who understand themselves as being sent out at this point. Um, they are to go out um, and proclaim the good news. 
They are to do it in a way that fosters peace with everyone, not just with some. And they are to do it in a way that reveals their holiness. It's not so easy. Think about that. It's like stand with conviction, but do it lovingly, which is what we would all say is a pretty fine way to be. But it's just that which I think is very hard to see in our world today. Um, why? We'll get to. So, working at this definition of civility, um, what is it and what isn't it? And I think as Christians, it's pretty important for us to make sure we understand what it is not. Uh, especially in our day and age. So I want to actually, for us to think about what it is not before we move into what it may be. This, this part is taken directly from um, Richard Mao's book. Richard Mao was president of uh, Fuller Theological Seminary in California for many years. Really brought that seminary into prominence uh, as a cultural power, as well as a theological or a training power for pastors. Um, he resigned his presidency some years ago. He's, he's getting up there in age now, and so he t- still teaches classes, but he, um, he no longer is president of the institution. He makes it clear that civility is not any of this. It is not liking everybody. It is not nationalism. It is not evangelism and it is not relativism. So I want to look at those real briefly through his eyes. Um, Civility is not about liking everyone. As he puts it, it is not about having positive feelings for friend and foe. It is not about having to like everyone. It is not just getting along. Okay, so this idea of what is it to be civil doesn't have anything really to do with just getting along liking everybody, this, this whole movement in our country of um, positive effect for everything and everybody. It is not that. It is not nationalism. Being civil isn't just trying to be respectful towards the people we know. It is also about, it is also to care about our common life. It involves not only working hard at close relationships, but also cultivating and I think this is important, a deep concern for the civitas, for the way things go in our public spaces, our public life. Caring for our common life can take on a dangerous shape, he says. Some Christians seem to think the only way to show our genuine love for the public square is to cultivate a passionate and uncritical devotion to their nation. This is not civility, but idolatry. Um... That's a very, for me, that's a very profound statement that um, civility is not just nationalism on steroids. Um, You know, accepting your point of view and then hyping it to the nth degree um, and calling it civility. Positive regard for the civil entity 
without regard to critical thinking. Um, it is not an evangelistic strategy. It is not a ploy to get to another for Jesus. Civility isn't, it, it has its own value quite apart from any evangelistic or political results it might produce. To become a gentler and more relevant person is itself a way of being more like what God intended us to be. He tells a story here um, that he was on a bus. He was himself a seminary student and he's on a bus, he's on his way back home and he noticed, he's sitting towards the back of the bus and he noticed this gentleman moving from one seat to another and having friendly conversation. When he was done with one, he had another one to go to. And we're talking a, a, a ride of multiple hours. And finally, he gets to the seat next to Richard and he sits down and sits down and, and he starts a polite conversation. He gets to know him a little bit and, and, um, and then he brings up God. And as he puts it, out of nowhere comes God. So civil behavior as a means to evangelize may be a good thing one way or another, but it is not civility as we're talking about it. That is evangelism. Uh, and he wants to be clear about that. Um, finally, and this I think is important to, to Christians, um, Civility is not relativism, and relativism, that doctrine, that doctrine that knowledge, truth, and moral existence, morality exist in a relation to culture, society, historical context, and are not absolute. So, uh, civility doesn't require us to approve of what everybody does. It doesn't have to mean we all become, we come accept everything all the time, no matter what. It doesn't mean we have to accept what people think, believe, or do. It does not mean we cannot criticize. On the contrary, I would suggest that true civility means that, in fact, we do have to criticize. We have to be able to speak what we believe, what we see. How we do it becomes the issue in a civil society. Um, so what is the problem that Christians have with civility is I understand it. Most Christians, I think, associate civility with capitulation. That um, to be civil means to be relativistic, to, to just give in, hold what you believe inside quietly, politely. Uh, Martin Marty observed, people who are good at being civil often lack strong convictions and people who have strong convictions often lack civility. Much like our poem earlier. Um, how can we be good and civil and at the same time hold strong convictions whether they are of the left or the right, the conservative, the liberal, um, any of those little tag phrases you want to put in there. Um, Christian, um, atheist, any of those things. How can, how can we 
be civil, and yet at the same time also stand strongly in our convictions. Um, so now I'm going to work at some, some definitions. And by the way, feel free to interrupt at any point. Um, pardon? Oh, I thought I heard somebody. Um, this is just from Merriam-Webster. This is nothing spectacular. It's just um, the archaic is, is training in the humanities, civics, uh, learning about the world in which you live um, through the arts and the sciences. Um, civility is, in a sense, to be civilized, to be courteous. It's politeness, a polite act or expression. No matter where we go, that's got to be part of the definition. There is a very real element in civility to being polite, to being kind, to expressing what it is we express in a pleasing way. Um, that's going to be part of it no matter what. Um, but it's bigger than that. Aristotle um, believed that you really cannot be human, fully human, unless you have the capacity um, to be a a citizen, and, and when he talks about citizen, he's talking about a good citizen, an involved citizen in the affairs of the city. Of course, in that day and age, yeah. Yes. Oh, the little one or the big? He who is unable to live in society or who has no need because he is, is sufficient of himself must be either a beast or a god. Um. Aristotle talks about the uh, polis, the, the politics of living together. Uh, in the Latin, we talk about the civetus, the, the, the civil part of being together. Um, and Aristotle was, was very much of the belief that to be truly human meant you had developed in a way that you could, you could participate in the politics of the day. And if you couldn't, you were more a beast. You were not fully human. The interesting thing is, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas kind of echoes, um, echoes him. And John Calvin in particular, um, if you look in his fourth, fourth book, um, Civil government has as its appointed end, so long as we live among men, to cherish and protect the outward worship of God, to defend sound doctrine of piety and the position of the church, to adjust our life to the society of men, to form our social behavior to civil righteousness, to reconcile us with one another, and to promote general peace and tranquility. Um, John Kelvin's very clear also. Now, John Calvin, as I said earlier, would have a theocratic democracy. He would have a church-run state that was run democratically. Um, but he also understands that that life together um, has got to reveal and has to be lived out in the way 
of Christ. So he will talk um, a lot about uh, reconciliation. He'll talk a lot about peace and the tranquility of the city. It's about the city life. Most people don't realize this. Um, John Calvin is often credited to be the, you can't overstate this, but he's often credited as being kind of the author of what we would call today the welfare state. Not in the sense that things are just given away, not in, not in the sense that some, in very uncivil terms, talk about, but in the notion that civility caused us to tend to the poor. So he had, um, in Geneva, a whole system um, of provision for the poor. Public hospitals were big on his list of things. If, if you were sick, you saw a doctor. You know, I hate to say it, but his universal health care, he was into that. He, he saw that everybody had to have care. That, you know, how again becomes the issue. And that all of that went into creating public space that reflected Christ. Um, and that was his goal in terms of public life. Civility. A civil society. Um, I don't want you to take what I just said just a moment ago to the nth degree. You know, he also was a firm believer in personal responsibility. Um, but in a day and age where if you were sick, you just died. Or if you were poor, you just starved. He very much saw the need of the civic life. He saw the need for the civic life to address those issues. It was the civil thing to do. Um, if we think about the Christian experience of civility in North America, I think it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, if, you, if you go back to the, the founding of the country and you watch how people of faith interacted with each other, it wasn't always very pretty. Um, and actually some really brutal things happened as different understandings of the Christian faith battled for supremacy, uh, battled for people, battled for kingdom space, so to speak. And so for an awful long time, you know, as, as, as um, Mao suggests, Christian or congregationalists had a hard time tolerating Baptists, but then again, don't we all have a hard time with the Baptists? Um, <laughs> Very uncivil of me. Roman Catholics fought with Presbyterians and Episcopalians, conflict with fringe groups, Mennonites, Quakers, fringe groups. Somehow over time, we all learned to live with one another to the point where the denominations just began to carve up the country. Say, so you take this, you take this, you take this. You know. That's why there are so few Presbyterian churches in New England. Um, then you move on in time and new players come into the scene, the Mormons, the, the Shakers, Jehovah Witnesses, and Christian scientists. And the same process, we went through that same process. We find that somehow or another, 
we've all managed to, to find the civil place to be, mostly. Mostly. Today, uh, and this goes back to Richard Mao, but the challenges of recent decades have sent us back to the drawing board. He's talking about the fact that we have found this, there's a time in our history where we have found this civility, at least within the Christian church. Um, now we have mosques in our neighborhoods and new age devotees or, um, in our schools and businesses. Some openly call for a return to witchcraft and other ancient pagan practices. Homosexual couples want our churches to bless their marriages. Cable television delivers pornography into our living rooms. This was written in 1992, I believe. Right. Um, so the question he asks in, this, in, his, in his book um, becomes this. Is the social bond that holds us together, in other words, in the early days, what held us together was, in the most part, Christ. Or the Christian ethic, more likely. Today we live in a much more pluralistic society, so is the social bond that holds us together stretched to the breaking point? Is civility even possible, he's asking. And this is in 1992. Is civility even possible? We are so um, pluralistic the rancor has gotten so loud, so bombastic, so all ever present. <coughs> that he wonders if people, culture, is even beginning to wonder if it's possible to be civil again. Um, and of course, we're living in this, I mean, the presidential election is coming, folks. If we listen to what's out there already, I'm expecting this next 18 months to be pretty brutal, pretty ugly. Is civility even possible anymore? Um, This is Richard again. To be good citizens, we must learn to move beyond relationships that are based exclusively on familiarity and intimacy. We must learn how to behave among strangers, to treat people with courtesy, not because we know them, but simply because we see them as human beings like ourselves. So you can begin to see where this might head, at least for him. That civility doesn't as much have to do with what I believe versus what you believe, what you think versus what I believe, what I want versus what you want. It has something to do for the Christian with how we treat each other because we are human beings. We are, we are critters of God, all of us. And that's the demarcation point for him. If you're a Christian, that determines your behavior not winning or losing, not getting your way, not winning the battle, not getting the election, uh, not getting the judgeship, but the fact that as Christians we understand all people are first and foremost creations of God. Um, I almost took this slide out 
It's just a definition. At first, I kind of liked it. Civility is claiming and caring for one's identity, needs, and beliefs without degrading someone else's in the process. I think that's a fair definition. I don't know that there's anything terribly Christian about it, but when I first started putting this thing together, that kind of attracted me. As I said, I almost took it out because why would I almost take it out? Okay. How do we define degrading? Um, mm-hmm. And I impose my convictions, and you impose your convictions. Is that act not degrading your convictions? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a. Yeah. Like the hymn from 18. Yeah. Ah. And that's the point, isn't it? how do you do the first without doing the second is the point. That takes us into the area of civility. Yeah. But we need I think you need a lot of definitions in there. Um, identity. What, <laughs> what's that one mean? One's identity. And yet I would contend the reason I would take, I would have remove this slide has to do exactly with the word identity. Um, Caring for one's own identity. Um, The reason I would take this out is that it becomes all about me. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it becomes all about me. Um, From the Christian perspective is I guess I struggle with that, being a Christian, taking care of me first. One more time. No, I'm thinking that means me. See, am I reading it wrong? Civility is claiming and caring for one's identity, needs, and beliefs without degrading someone else's in the process. Yeah. Yeah. So it's too problematic. Let's go on. <laughs> Going, <laughs> going back to, pardon?
<laughs> um, we can talk about inward civility and outward civility. Um, in that definition, you remember it was politeness, um, treating others uh, politely. So civility is public politeness. There is an element in that. Uh, it means that we display tact, moderation, refinement, and good manners towards people who are different from us. It is the outward show of politeness. Um, public politeness. Um, no, that's the next slide, though. <laughs> I probably should have said this before this slide. When I look at civility, I see two things going on at once. I see two causes happening. There is the outward. How do we treat one another? What words do we use? What tone do we use? Um, it's very important to me. Uh, it's very important that we are tactful. Um, that we do things in moderation. That we do things without beating other people up. In that sense, that's an outward display. Um, and I am always conscious of that. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor, and the worst thing a pastor can do is offend somebody, because they leave the church if you offend them. Um, going back to the other aspect, though, inward civility, to be civil is to genuinely care about the larger society. It requires a heartfelt commitment to your fellow citizens. It is a willingness to promote the well-being of people who are very different, including people who seriously disagree with you on important matters. So inwardly, um, our outward actions are born out of an inward care and love. Who... Think about the people you know. I'm thinking of somebody we all know. Who would be a good example of this? Yeah. There we go. That was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> Dick's not far from that, though. <laughs> um... If we think about what Jesus did, why Jesus did what he did, you can only conclude that he did it because he loved. That is first and foremost. He cared. If he didn't care, he wouldn't have come. So everything he did and everything is through is needed to be looked through the lens of his inner being his inner being being love um, when we are able to do that I would suggest 
then the outward civility comes naturally. Um, Is what? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> the last sentence, it is a willingness to promote the well-being of people who are very different, including people who seriously disagree with you on important matters. Um, Right. What is God? God is a spirit and God is love. So to know God. But he's also a standard by which we can trust and mm-hmm. believe. But the standard is all set by God. And God is love. In his action, God is love. Right. He provided the garden, he provided Christ, he provided. Right. Right. All right, then let's look at the life of Christ himself because Christ came to a culture and to a people who we would say today mirror those who are not Christian. Okay? In that sense, it's one in the same. Um, so the question we would ask is how did he treat those people? Well, he did the will of God, but what is the will of God? Somehow or another, it's all born up in love. Yes? Yeah. Right. Does it fit into the category of love? No, I'm going to say for those involved. It's a tough love. We it is a tough love. And the... Yes, was the flood civil? Certainly not. 
Um, in a definition, in a definition, in a day and age, I would have to say it was, because of how that culture, who understood the story, interpreted God. Not by today's standards. Not by today's standards. No, I don't think. I think that's true. But I understand, well, exactly. But one has to understand stories from their context. <laughs> one has to understand stories from their context. I don't think, I think there's very much a way you can look at the Old Testament and literally, literally come to the conclusion that God is not civil. I think you can do that. I don't think it's a very faithful interpretation, but I think you can do that. I think there's a, a strain that runs from the beginning to the end that speaks of the civility of God as defined, defined as bringing people out of sin and into relationship with the creator. So civility for me in terms of looking at the Old Testament runs through that whole strain of, of God looking out for the welfare of all people, not just one or two. And even in the task of doing that, what does God do when he looks down on the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? After what? Yeah. After the give and take, well, how many righteous people will there be in there and then you won't destroy it? I don't know. It's a good, it's a good question. Um, but I, I think I, I could probably well make the argument that the Old Testament from beginning to end is an argument for civility. Caring for the very best of all people. I don't know that we would replicate that today, but I can make that argument. Yeah. Uncivil. Because the end result of that would be returning it to the way it was supposed to be with the sacrifice system and not. Yeah. The end result with him doing that was good. Mm -hmm. Well, again, context is everything. In, in terms of those events, I'm placing those in the larger context. I don't think Jesus was uncivil to Pharisees or Sadducees. Again, understanding that culture and how, how they communicated, just like we have to understand our own culture and how we communicate. Um, they talked in parables. We do not talk in parables anymore, folks. We would probably do better if we did but we don't. Um, we don't even story tell very much anymore. 
And if, so if you look at how, how cultures interact with one another in and through scripture, and you understand that, then you have to ask this question all over again. Was Jesus speaking uncivilly to Pharisees and Sadducees? In a culture that is, by our standards, brutal in all things, was his behavior terribly brutal? See, Jesus, the, understanding Jesus here is understanding that he does not plot the death of Sadducees and Pharisees. He plots a way to redeem them. Where the Sadducees and Pharisees plot a way not to redeem Jesus, but to kill him. Jesus, by far, is the most civil. even defining his actions in their rather brutal day. Jesus should have, in his day, allowed a woman to be stoned. It was the right punishment for the right crime in the right place in the right time. She was on the right seat on the right bus to get stoned. So I, the whole idea of where is Jesus civil and where isn't he civil has got to be pinned in his day and age and his culture. We can't just transport it to our day and say that was uncivil. It wasn't uncivil at all in his day and age. It was probably the most civil. I think that's my last slide. So, oh no. It may be my last slide, but yeah, it says, end of slideshow. Um, there is a story that Mao tells that I think is instructive for us, and then we're just going to have some discussion because I've got about 12 minutes. <coughs> Me. um, it, it's a story told by um, Corey Ten Boom. Um, her father was a storekeeper and was also, as we, I think most people know, was very active in finding homes for safe places for Jews to be living in the midst of Nazi Germany and the, the Nazi in, infection. Um, and a family had, had come and they were living in the store and there were so many people in the st living in the store right now, they were becoming a danger to each other. So a Christian, pa he and, and the Ten Booms, of course, are a Christian family. And her father asks a pastor who comes in to take the family. And the pastor says, no. I won't. Why would I save them and put myself in jeopardy? And her father's response to that um, is to me the kind of the perfect um, antidote or visual for what I think I'm trying to say. Her father said to him, that's, that's odd. I would consider it a privilege to die for this child. 
the intent being that to look after the welfare of another, whether they are like you or not, becomes, for Mao, the definition and the witness of what civility is. It's outward showing, inward um, faith, belief, transformation, however you want to look at it, um, how we treat one another. In that case, it really was a matter of life and death for this baby. For us, it's more about winning a political battle um, or, you know, taking a stand and winning the stand. Um, when I talk about civility, I'm talking, I am defining it in this inward, outward understanding. That outwardly, we are polite, we are civil to one another. We speak civilly. We don't have to be, uh, we don't have to kowtow, we don't have to move into the world of accommodation, but we do speak civilly. And that is born not out of my own decision to be nice, it's born out of the reality that inwardly Christ has transformed me in such a way that I understand and see all things and work at seeing all things, all people, as children of God. And I go from that premise. Yeah, we don't have the backstory, so to speak, but. But have you ever got anybody to change their mind? Jerry, you are so bright. <laughs> so with it. And good looking, too. Oh. <laughs> but. <laughs> but <laughs> um, <coughs> I, I'm going to suggest. I, I'm, I guess I'm free to suggest that you're not going to change anybody's mind through, through the brutality of debate and um, public discourse that is anything other than civil. All you're really going to do is create more hostility. And I think we see that happening in our country day by day. If we can't talk civilly to each other, all we're going to do is continue to divide each other. And thus his question, are we so divided at this point, is civility even possible? Okay, I've talked. Yeah. Well, thank you, I thought that was pretty ducky myself. Um, yeah, pastors speak in parables sometimes. <laughs> yeah. What about the masses that are following the most uncivil? Master. Very uncivil. Mm-hmm. Um, 
let's go back to Chamberlain, uh, foreign minister of um, England before, um, yeah, um, before World War II. Um, what was he guilty of, historically? Accommodation. Um, yeah. And I think Christians worry about that. Um, how do we not get labeled wusses? Um, weaklings. I'm, I think I'm prepared to say it's not by we're not we're not going to be I got to figure out how to say this <laughs> we're not going to be labeled wusses we think we will not be labeled wusses if we are belligerent we worry that we will be if we accommodate so where's the middle ground between accommodation and belligerency? Where can change actually happen outside of physical force? <laughs> in a sense, you're right. It, in, in a sense, you change people through relationship. And if, if you can't, and you cannot relate to people if the modus operandi is to beat them into submission or to so belittle them that people turn away from them or if you mock them. I'm a person who tends to move towards the person who is mocked. Not away from. It's my, person, it's my personality. I'm inclined to go towards those who I see as the victim. I don't know. It's not so easy, is it? Because right now we're all wondering, well, how, but how, so how do I stand up for what I believe? How can I change the world to make it look like I want it to look? Because that's how we understand our role in civic life and discourse. And does that solve anything? Then what? So you will treat them... Uns okay. All right, so it's basically separation. Mm -hmm. So what does one do with Christ's ever-present demand to be reconciled to God and one another? Ah. Where they don't agree with your civility and it doesn't work, then you gotta draw the line. Okay. I think the Constitution is a very civil document. Oh, I do too. Anybody think it doesn't? Does that ever does that mean everybody agrees on how it's interpreted? We can't even agree on how the gospel is interpreted half the time.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know, there are, I, I go up and down Cleveland Avenue multiple times a day. And in many of the seasons out in front of Planned Parenthood, there are the, the protesters. I don't think they would call themselves protesters. That's my common, I don't know what we call them. Demonstrators. Um, whether I agree with what they're searching for, seeking, or I don't, I would have to come away from watching them going, and me going up and down and past them every day. The only attitude I could take from them is one of respect. They wave to cars when they honk at them, and they don't flip off those who don't honk at them. They are civil. They don't interrupt traffic. But I can't imagine that the way they have done their protest for ever since I've lived here, so that's 13 years, folks, they've been out there, has not changed more than one mind or two because they have been very civil about it without being accommodating. Yeah, yeah. But how one does it defines civility or not. We have all the rights we want. How we live into our rights is a whole other matter, isn't it? The, the simple fact, we've got, we've got um, so many rights that just, you know, contradict one another. And yet we have learned over the years to, to find a middle ground, freedom of speech versus libel. They just naturally go against each other. And yet we've found this accommodating place through a legal system that has made the Constitution relevant. Um, how can we, in our daily living, make our faith relevant? Because we find that place where we can be civil to one another without being accommodating nor being bombastic. I'm not, I'm not, there's nothing here that's telling you I think this is easy. There's nothing here that will not cause, there's nothing here that will be sacrifice free. As we define this, as we try to define this, as Christ would define it, as people of faith should live it, I'm not here to suggest that everybody's going to be a winner. I'm just asking, what is civility? What does it have to do with our faith? And what does it mean for how we interact with one another and with those out in the world? Does the nice guy really win? You might put it that way. I'll put it this way, and then I got to go. St. Patrick was called to take the gospel north. Scotland, Ireland, England up in the northern regions of Europe. How did he succeed in doing that? 
he succeeded, and he succeeded mightily. Yeah. He won them over with kindness. Literally. He would move his, his small community outside of another small community, and their community served that small community day in and day out for sometimes years at a time. And then slowly, over time, people from that community started wandering over to St. Patrick's community. It seems to me a rather civil way to conquer a people for Christ. How do we do that in our day and age? I got more questions than answers. I really do. Ultimately, we win, but that doesn't always satisfy us living here and now, does it? We want to win now. How can we? Let's pray. I got to get out of here. I got work to do. Gracious God, can there be something easy for us sometime? Can our life in your presence ever be easy? I think, Lord, the answer is no. But I also think, Lord, that you will make our difficult lives peaceful and fulfilling and gratifying as we work and seek to be your kingdom here. Grant us power to be your witnesses in this world as you would witness in this world as Christ witnessed in this world. Amen. Okay, we'll see what happens next week. Next week we'll be looking more clearly at scripture and what is, is civility born out of something other than secular thinking? Give it some thought. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Um...